0: I have to tell you, I'm a little shaken from yesterday's indulgences. Ryan, you owe me 50 bucks, by the way.
1: Oh, I thought it was 100. You're letting me off easy.
0: Venmo me like I did to you immediately (laughs) after losing the bet last time. It's not the money that I want. I want the acknowledgement that I won the bet. And I feel badly for you because I like you a lot and I want you to be happy. It
1: was a very stressful evening
2: for me, Alex. I can imagine. I mean, you lost 100 bucks
1: to Detroit. You know when you're so stressed, you actually smell different at the end of an experience? Jesus. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a show about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey. I write the rebooting newsletter, and each week I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor, Troy Young, writer of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. This week, we're discussing interfaces and how they shape our media experiences. The interface abstracts the technology that powers these experiences, It took the graphical user interface for the internet to become mainstream. For a generation, the search interface has been the de facto starting point for digital media. That's given Google tremendous power, and it's also shaped people's expectations. The advances in artificial intelligence-enabled search are coming, and they're coming fast and furious, with Chat GPT racing ahead to 100 million users. Microsoft has just rolled out AI-enabled version of its Bing search engine, and Google itself has demoed its response, although it's been mostly panned. Much of the focus, rightly, has been on the actual results. Are they better? Are they accurate? Are they racist? Is this AI robot sentient? And weirdly, there is an impulse to try to pick a fight with the robot. There are entire subreddits devoted to real or photoshopped creepy interactions with the AI bots. It's hard to tell what's reality these days, but perhaps just as important is the interface. The search query is being replaced by conversation. You know, you chat, you don't search when you use these tools. And if this takes off, and it's still a big if, it would fundamentally alter the most important interface in digital media. I mean, this is remarkable. I mean, Clippy with a come-from-behind victory would be as shocking as a resurgence of QR codes. So in the spirit of this shift to conversational interfaces, Troy, Alex, and I discuss the implications of this and how the media business will need to adapt. Thanks to everyone who have left a rating and a review on this podcast. A particular thanks this week to Stu O'Neill, who called this show, quote, a very entertaining and conversational TED Talk. Thank you, Stu, particularly for not saying this was like a TEDx talk. We do have ambitions here. If you have a moment, please do leave a rating and review with any topics you'd like to see us cover, or just email them to me. I'm bmarc at therebooting.com. We're going to do desalination later, Troy, so I'm going to get to you on that one. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: So I want to start with Alex, who's, who's the expert in this particular area. What, what's the question? You guys keep asking, but it's like we rip off each other. It's a conversation. First of all, explain the importance of the interface and, and the role it plays. I know this is very basic, but just for my own edification.
2: At a basic level, we have computers that do things and people that want to do things, right? And the history of the interface has been building new ways to communicate people's intentions into things that computers could do. What started with complex things like punch cards, and then layers of abstractions got removed, and we got to using a mouse and a keyboard, and now a touch. People are saying that this next version of the interface is augmented reality glasses, right? So it's just getting closer and closer to the human way of experiencing things. Businesses have tried all sorts of ways of monetizing that by either selling the thing that provides the interface or providing the interface itself all the way to placing ads within the interface, right? And you can look at it like really mechanically like that. But I think what we're also seeing now is kind of the mechanical parts of the interface, like the UI, the buttons that you press, and then some of the more semantic or intellectual ways the interface is changing. Searching used to mean you had to type the keyworded precisely, but today searching means you can type in something that means the thing you look for, right? And so computers have become better and better at dealing with the way humans think. We make spelling mistakes. We don't organize our thoughts clearly. But most of the internet has been built around this idea of needing to provide interfaces to do things. And I think that's going to change a lot with AI. And I think AI is going to fundamentally change both the mechanics and the cognitive parts of the interface. Does that make sense? Did I become too academic here? Yeah, slightly. But uh, just to bring in, what, what, did, you, what did you
0: specifically you, maybe see? Maybe next time you'll call on me first, Brian.
1: Well, now, now, now I'm understanding. No, I'm just kidding. This is, it's. It was good. That's why I went to, for expertise. What do what you experience the interfaces of these early AI products? Like, What can we take away from that?
2: I think that humans are really comfortable using conversations to get stuff done. It's very appealing for human beings to use conversations that is non-linear and it changes a lot of things because it used to be you're using a tool and now you're being much more natural about how you're kind of forming thoughts and trying to get stuff out of the computer but it's
1: also kind of it's maybe this is too abstract it's kind of dishonest isn't it because it's it's acting as if it's a conversation when it's not a conversation it's acting as if it's like a person with that's actually sharing something with you when it's just like a simulation of conversations that have taken place that it is scraped and reformulated and into something that is the approximation of a conversation. And even to me, the experience is interesting because they made very specific choices. You watch it like answering as if you're actually watching like a person. You know what I mean?
2: All human computer interfaces dishonest if you want to frame it like this. Did you know that when you're pressing a button on a glass, it's not really a button? It's just something that... (laughs) Those are (laughs) abstractions. Gotcha. No, but I think right, I, I like that. Look, we we, we uh, want computers uh, to feel You can edit that one out. <laughs> See the
1: advantage of you doing the uh, editing, Alex? You can keep
2: that in. <laughs> there's a difference between trying to trick people into thinking there's a human on the other side and making things feel more human friendly.
1: Does that make sense? Troy, you've been biding your time. <laughs> Get in here. What was your takeaway when the interface changes, how does the media end up like changing because of that?
0: I think dramatically. I kind of had a brain fart about it and wrote about it a bit last week. You know, I mean, I just watched, and sort of as a person in media, you see how profoundly the environment you create for affects the media. You know that, Brian, better than Mm -hmm. anyone. And platforms or distribution environments change content. It's a user mode. It's typically a format. It's usually an ad system. I think it's a competitive playground where you have to try to get attention above another person who's also trying to get attention in there. And certainly it's an expectation from the consumer that the content will match the environment that you're delivering it in. Things conform to the interface, right? And today we have a structure through Google, and this is not describing the rest of the social web or the other ways we access information, but certainly when we seek things out through Google, we, we go from the query, as Alex pointed out, I think that that's become more human and ability to absorb the way we actually ask for things. And then you get the response on the SERP page, and there's a lot of discussion about how you order advertising and organic results and how the system has been built over time to trap more and more uh, money, while I think doing a fairly good job up until recently of balancing the needs of the consumer. Anyway, then there's the link and then there's the page, and we're just totally conditioned to this. And I think this is really, really important that's how we think about getting information right at least i do that's my process i open a tab i often type not in google but certainly in the navigation bar on the browser and i get information and i go to a website Mm -hmm. and i think that the back and forth changes a huge amount when it's not really searching when you're asking and you're in this kind of back and forth volley with with ai where it's responding to your questions And then I think it's really interesting because if you play with this stuff, you realize that it's never going to be right all the time. And certainly we've seen blunders recently where it's not right because we're not. The internet's not right. Therefore, the robot's not going to be right. And then you do realize very quickly that point of view seeps into the thing. These interfaces are not neutral. They'll try to make them neutral, but they're not neutral. And it actually is going to be the kind of nexus of the next wave of kind of culture wars as it pertains to media culture because people will want them to be neutral, but they never will be. I think then that what happens is, what I call it is the citation, which is very, very important in this equation, because the citation gives the answer either credibility or space to be subjective. Because what it's saying is, I got this from somewhere. And I think that the new war, if the old one was the war to get on the cert page with the link, the new war is to get cited. The citation is the new battleground.
1: But this is like the answer box wars. I covered search for years in the early days. Ask Chiefs had this. They had smart answers. But they weren't very smart though, right? They didn't have the intelligence. (laughs) But the interface of what Ask Chiefs was doing back then is more like what the interface of search will be like. And what I'm interested in is also is the trade-offs you make to interfaces when it comes to business models, right? Because there's a whole bunch of different reasons. I think most of us would probably agree that Google has soft-pedaled its AI advancements. It's been reputed to be a leader in this field. It has such a head start. It's hard to believe it It got caught flat-footed. But in some ways, it's like a prisoner of the interface that search has, right? Because it works so well with advertising. Google Mm -hmm. can do whatever. They never gave financial guidance because they didn't have to. Because if they could dial in exactly where they wanted to be because they would just change the interface. They would make more or less money changing the interface. Mm-hmm.
2: couple of things. First of all, I disagree completely that this citation is going to be valuable. Nobody's going to click on these things. I like this. Alex and, is spiky uh, today. And people are going to notice that soon. The citation is... A way of Microsoft saying, "Look, we still link you, but they know that you know something is going to happen. Something's going to need to happen around." Well, that. over
0: over time, Alex, I think more of the interaction and the use case gets absorbed into the chat for sure.
2: And I think that the value needs to come out of if you create content that is unique that you can protect. We're going to start seeing deals where Microsoft buys exclusive rights to Cora. We're gonna see these deals because that's where the money's gonna be. And I think it's going to really hurt advertising.
1: I asked Neil Vogel this. Won't we see like publishers with unique data and content saying you cannot train your algorithms on this?
0: hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. Except that anybody, any publisher that's looking for traffic will kind of embrace the Faustian bargain that is put me in your interface. Promise me something whether it's money or traffic, and I will let you in to scrape my content. It's the same challenge we have today, right? As a publisher, do you make a decision to open yourself, to syndicate your content to social, to open yourself up to search, whatever it is, it's a trade-off. You get something back. Mm. You'll only do it to the extent that you get something back. Well,
2: well, Here's here's the issue, and, and I think that's a little bit of a rabbit hole potentially, but the issue is... Depends how retroactively that matters, right? Because at some point, Wikipedia has been already scanned by all of these AIs, right? And that data is being used. It cannot really gain anything by saying, okay, well, we're going to stop it now, right? Because the vast majority of that content is evergreen, which you can do with link, which you can do with social, or we're going to stop Instagram from sharing. But the second you've got two decades of content that's already been sucked into that algorithm, they can say, okay, we'll stop and still get a lot of value from that content. Which brings me to my next point. The internet economy is built on a lot of middlemen and middlemen that provide some sort of interface, right? Google provides a search interface, CNN.com provides an interface to read those articles. Once we start interfacing with computer in a much more naturalistic way, we're not going to really support these middlemen. We're not going to click on the link. We're not going to follow more. Once the thing can give us a grid of show times for the movie theater or a collection of all the ratings across all product sites, there's not going to really be a need to click on the link anymore. And so that conversation is going to have to change. And I don't know what that looks like. I just think that the internet has been built on a lot of interfaces. Can I I, I, throw something out to
0: you, you, Alex, Brian? Mm -hmm. I have a glimmer of a thought around this and I don't know and I don't think anybody knows. First of all, I do think that every time something gets pushed further down the page, we're going to see hybrid solutions in search for a long time. And so there will be answers. And it's one of my criticisms of the Bing interface, by the way. It's just it's so complicated now, yeah, which is a Microsoft problem. They, 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 They tend to clutter up and complicate everything. But my point is, what it does is the citation is a link. Will it get clicked as much of a link in a SERP? No, everything gets pushed down. So you get less traffic is sent out of the system. But I I think there's other other issues, and and this is what I kind of wanted help on. So I was thinking about the search box as almost being like the new, go with me here, the new newsstand, right? And so the newsstand used to be an important distribution point for newspapers and magazines, et cetera, right? I was thinking how much pressure that point is going to put on everything, including, and most probably importantly, economic pressure. Because I don't know if you guys have, I think we had an article going through the text chat that this type of automation which essentially what it is is very expensive relative to the search query now that's going to come down and we'll solve that and we'll make better chips and we'll bring the processing costs down etc but it's going to force people to add services around search that cost money and you're either going to get that money back by building more transactions into that in other words, some type of affiliate relationship, or you're actually going to do what OpenAI is trying to do right now to say if you want the service to do all these things for you. And just think about the frontier here, seriously. They're going to keep innovating, adding data sets, adding speed, adding new commands, crazy things that you can do, and they're going to attempt to charge the consumer for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So now the search box, the people that dominate the search box, oh my God, it's even more powerful than Google was. If you owned that position on the internet, that's insane. Now, there may be a proliferation of it. Brian, just give me a second here. But my, my point is, just give me a no. second. The, the, okay, sorry, don't. Do you have something to say? No, I don't. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I was just breathing
1: deeply. I think I might have COVID. Go on. I've got other things
0: going on. Okay, okay, okay.
1: (laughs) It's nothing to do with you.
0: So you got this newsstand that's going to try to get subscribers. There's going to be an array of services there. And increasingly, the owner of that distribution point is going to say to media, listen, come here with me and we will do branded searches from the point of view of your brand. Or not searches, but like, dialogue from the point of view of your brand. And I I think that you're going to start to get this really interesting thing where media finds its way back to the chatbot in ways that we've not seen before.
1: Okay, so it's meet the new boss, same as the old boss, basically. It's more publishers being sharecroppers on other people's land, right? Yes. Okay,
0: But what I'm saying I think is more interesting than that. The idea that you're flattened into a semantic pancake by a chatbot and your content loses all of its relevance, and it's already lost all of its context in the first wave, right? When When it was completely blown to bits because the notion of an issue or curation don't really matter. Now we're going into a new wave where a chat owner looking to compete might say to a media brand, how can we work together to make this a way better experience? Because people like point of view, people like the brands, you have unique information, you can help me basically make the chatbot more human.
1: Okay, who is the leverage in that in that negotiation?
2: There's two ways of looking at it. Like one, I'm
1: trying
0: one to be
2: optimistic. You could say that the transaction here is between the learning models, like the people who own the learning models, and all the computational power. Okay, they hold some sway, right? The Microsofts and the Googles. And then there's the people who create content that is of value, not that middle stuff that is going to be decimated, but content that is of value. And to me, those are two things. It's A, opinion, and B, real-time information, news as it's happening, right? Now, in an optimistic model, both of these forces are kind of equalized, and the AI people and the content people have to find a balance that makes everyone happy. Maybe they move away from advertising. Maybe they start finding models that are much more subscription-based, all that stuff. My worry is that humans are programmed to make content and whenever somebody says, I will not give you my expensive content, there's somebody behind them that wants to make it for free. That's the problem. And so Tell me about you're it, are competing with that. And so imagine where before you might want like one good is, writer. Is this
0: the answer, Alex, to the disincentive question? Why make content if it's just gonna be absorbed by the AI bot? Well, I mean, that's the problem, right? Because imagine, imagine someone else right? will make the content, is that your eh. point?
2: So you have a great writer. Music's been a shitty business for a while.
1: People keep making
2: it. It depends for whom, right? Music can be a great business for some people. If you have a hundred people writing something mediocre, can an AI compile us into something that's actually good enough, right? I think they're going to be fighting something good enough that can be sp- spat out. Do I need to read the New York Times if the AI can like scan Twitter and shit out something that's good enough? Like yeah. that's going to be the press. I mean,
1: I think th- I think the problem is is. Most media, really, they zero in on good enough content. The majority of what they do is good enough. I would not want to be the sort of metaphorical second page of the search result page right now is because you're going to be even more irrelevant. And even if you were a marginal first page, you're going to be irrelevant. And so I think it will probably accelerate the sort of power law of you've got some people who are able to do all of these things and make deals with the people with unique data sets and stuff. But oh, it's going to it's gonna run, accelerate. If you can't attract an people directly, it's going to be really
2: hard. So did you guys listen to the interview that Nile Patel from The Verge did with the CEO of Microsoft? Yeah. yeah. So at one point he asks a question about that kind of media thing and the answer is pretty much we have citations and we'll find different ways of linking back to the content. But here's a real example. I want to know which the best TV is or whatever, right? And the system currently will scan the verge and everything like that and pull out what the best TV is, right? Now, those sites could start saying, we won't let you do that. We're going to update our robot.txt and we won't let you do that. Fine. The system's just going to go to Reddit. It's going to go to Amazon and it's going to come back with information. That is good enough, and those sites are going to have lose complete relevance overnight if that stuff. That was my point
0: happening. about about the incentive to participate.
2: Yeah, I mean it's gone. But w- without that incentive, like no, th- is there
0: is it? an a, there is an incentive to participate, assuming we find some kind of balance that that drives activity down to the page level. But I actually think that the problem is more profound, Alex, and I think that you'll have a thought on this from an AI perspective. And it's that feeds don't match or chats don't match with pages. And I think this is a really big, big problem. And so you see this if you use Bing right now. When you're in chat mode and you're back and forth and you're getting what you need to hit a citation and go to some chunky ad-driven page that has floating players and you have to wait for it to load and all those things, It doesn't fit with how humans like to navigate information. They don't want to move from one mode to another mode.
2: Yes, Mm. absolutely, and that is the issue. We're moving. Think about the way you're changing what you're typing into that box from a Google search to a chatbot, and it needed a little bit of. They needed to put it out into the open, so you got used to it. But you, I'm still not used to it.
1: Like I'm not, I'm still. It is because it feels weird,
2: but it won't feel weird in a while. Let me give you. An example, I am working on a video game and I'm using Unity and I'm building a very complex graphics stack and I was getting an obscure bug and I couldn't find any reference to it in any forum, any Discord group. Nobody could help me with it. It was very obscure, very much based on my current stack. I just decided to say, well, what if I asked ChatGPT as if I was asking another engineer, hey, I'm having this issue, here's what's coming up, what do you think it could... It came up with three ideas of what it could be that managed to let me solve the problem. That's amazing. It's incredible. It's <laughs> so cool. And,
0: well, and I'll I was give like you an
2: writing complex queries in Google trying to find key keywords and stuff like that. Yeah, that's just asked, impossible. It's gone.
0: It's no, over. but even even a simple use case, like the one I did um, this weekend on Friday, I asked Bing what I should do this weekend in New York. Normally you would do the sort of, if, you, if that was your use case, you'd do this kind of Google-based hunt and peck It gave me a list of activities around the city, including Free Fridays at the MoMA. I then said, tell me more about Free Fridays at the MoMA. And it gave me all the details of the hours, what's there, why you should go, should you bring kids, all of that. And it said, and if you don't want to go to this, there's something at the Met that's very similar. And you would never get that with that level of efficiency and fidelity off of Google. It would take you a, a much longer time to do it. And the next step is, obviously, there are going to be sort of API-driven frameworks to integrate ticketing into that, to do notifications, to tell your friend, to put it in your schedule, all of that stuff. And Mm -hmm. these use cases are going to be so sort of rounded out and complete by a number of people integrating with chat that it's going to completely change the way we use the web.
1: What does the interface look like then for a media company? Choose one area of media in AI era. What what interface then? Because the current interface of the open web is completely broken. I think everyone would agree. The New York Times had an article about how digital ads are horrible nowadays like they've ever been
0: great. Um, that was the was that in reference to Twitter ads?
1: No, it wasn't. It was based on all ads, I guess. And it was it didn't mention Apple and IDFA and ATT, but whatever. What does the interface look like? in an AI era where people are conditioned? Because I think a lot of this is people are going to become conditioned on expecting these kinds of experiences.
0: Yeah, and that it's has a really good question. It's, this is back to my question of mode. And I think that in order for you to switch modes, you have to be willing and prepared to do it. And mm-hmm. the value proposition has to be incredibly clear to you. So if someone said to me, hey, by the way, there's a really good reference on online advertising written by a thoughtful tenured creator named Brian Morrissey. Do you want to read that now? I might say, I'm going to take 10 minutes and read that. But I'm consciously switching between chat and going to read something. It's not unlike, for example, our pod people thread that we have going is a bunch of back and forth between me, you and Alex. We make jokes. We talk about what's going on, all that stuff. And then there's a link that someone will put in there. And if you have time or you decide to, you'll make the discrete, like a discreet decision to go out and visit that link, but it has to be worth it. And it has to be worth it. And you have to be ready to take the time to do it. And I think that you'll have mechanisms to stack up articles so that I want to read now and you'll go and you'll read them. But, right. but let's be very, very clear, Brian, it's not good. It, it, it Meaning it's not good for media creators and media brands.
2: Let's look at, because the mode thing is absolutely correct. Conversational search essentially changes the mode because when you were looking at something like a Google search results and clicking links, and you would go into something else and click more yeah. links, that would be the same mode, and you would move around that space. This has been a, a shift into a different mode. Now the question is, is this mode better than the other mode. And I think for 90% of queries, it absolutely is. That's the issue.
1: I don't know if this is actually true, so I'll just run it by you guys. Well, I think what's interesting is the feed mixed modes, right? Like you were in... All kinds, because you were just in scroll mode, I guess, but scroll mode it encompassed everything. It was like it flattened everything, whether it was photos, whether it was videos, whether it was articles, and that had a profound impact, I feel like, on how people perceived media and consumed it. Whereas this is actually emphasizing the modes more. Or right? the
2: switching of modes, right? That's what I you're, mean. You're, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. in a feed you're
1: in one mode. You're just in this manic scroll mode. And and I think that had a real impact because People mindlessly were like clicking. I'm not saying mindlessly, but like they lost sight of what brand they were even on. It was just all just a bunch of stuff that you just go through.
2: The thing is, when you're looking at search, you usually go to search with a specific query, trying to find some sort of knowledge or information about something. And you end up kind of meandering through that search. And this is where there's a lot of opportunity to sell you access to a new interface via ads or via subscription. And you're kind of meandering in that space, right? I think there's still going to be a a reason for you to go and open GQ and read an article because you're like in that mode of reading an article on GQ or checking out this interview that you've heard about. And that's still going to behave like normal search or like normal linking into something. The question is, how many of these queries and how much of our Behavior on the internet is just looking for an answer and f- yeah. finding it. And I would say that the majority of media is making money off that stuff. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, I, I, mean, no, I it's
0: a re- <laughs> it's a really good point. So, so I think that what what happens there is it forces it forces a reset in expectations around how much volume we get to content in the things that we create just to get distribution, which for many media companies is a lot of stuff that we, we create with the purposes of filling up the pipes to get people to pay attention to our content, or our brand and ultimately make us money. But it really is gonna force a kind of reckoning around how we look at the economics of an interaction with the human being because what happened is the whole system was set to volume mode, to scale mode, lots and lots and lots of page views, very, very low CPMs. Those pages are going to atrophy materially and we're going to have to kind of really figure out what it's worth to, to spend quality time under the sort of influence of a media brand connecting to an advertiser. Yeah, that And that sense.
1: also changes the surface area. This is a word you love and Facebook loves, surface area. Does that differ from interface?
0: I think I have the trademark on that, Brian. Do you? I appreciate that. Facebook likes
1: they talk about like, surfaces. I, I, I
0: very much appreciate the citation on that.
1: <laughs> no problem. That's where I picked it up. <laughs> Whenever I try to seem sophisticated, I use surface area.
0: And I've also t- trademarked my new media brand called Desalination Weekly.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Let, let me ask you guys a question. You're media people. Throughout this kind of rocky relationship between media and technology, media has always acquiesced to what technology was asking, and the latest phase of that was yes, create a lot of content for pennies that we will suck into an algorithm, suck into a massive generative model until we don't need you anymore. You were like kind of Uber drivers while Uber was looking at uh, self-driving cars. You like yeah keep doing that so we're learning about it and then one day we can replace you.
1: The tech people should be like thankful that the media people are more pissed if you ask me. <laughs> I mean I think it's, it's pretty this mild. Thing,
2: the reason creators will always be duped or mistreated is because there's this urge in people to be creative and artistic and put out their content and corporations yeah, will always abuse that. Always. Music yeah. It's like the it's like
1: Freakonomics, like like with the "Why does the drug dealer still live with their parents?" kind of thing. It's like these (laughs) glamour (laughs) professions always attract, and "glamours" in quotes, they always attract people that make uneconomic decisions. It's like becoming a drug dealer. It's like a terrible job. You're out in the cold all the time. You got a good chance of getting picked up for jail. You got a small chance of ever making it into like a real big position. But if you do, it's great. And so it always has a ready supply. Anyway, Yeah, that was really good. (laughs) That's why people go work for fashion magazines.
2: So back to my question, somebody you care about says, hey, I really am passionate about content. I want to make a media company. It is 2023, the dawn of everything changing. What do you tell them? Run. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I gave
1: an interview to a Columbia J School student on Friday for a project she was working on about BuzzFeed. And I remember being like a Columbia J School student, has to call people off for these things. They're annoyed by them. So, I, of course, I talked to her. She asked great questions. She called me Mr. Morrissey and made me feel really old. I was like, please don't do that. You know, we talked about like her career. I still think it's like a good career. I don't have any regrets. If you're incredibly curious, it depends on what you want to optimize to. I think there's going to be new paths that open up like anything, it's going to get harder. But it's always been hard. I mean, what, what do you that, tell a person that, that wants?
0: No, I think that's absolutely right. My son's a musician. What do I say? Y- your life is going to be filled with heartache? Make music. That's what you should do. Yeah. You should make, and if you want to make content or you want to understand the world better and you want to find the truth and all that, do that.
1: Yeah, do it. And if it doesn't work out, just go into PR. It's fine.
0: No, but what are you going to say? Don't do that. Go to, a, <laughs> go to accounting school. People will want to do what they want to do. Right? I'm not saying,
2: you know how would you convince somebody not to become a writer. I'm just saying if you f- meet someone who wants to create a media company, like we are doing now, right? What would you tell them to look out for right now? And what is the trade that you would allow yourself to make with technology or not to make with technology?
1: I would say you're never going to establish you're never going to establish a competitive advantage through the application of technology you have a an exceedingly small chance of ever doing that. I don't care how much you think you can master technology. At the end of the day, it's not going to happen. Personal point of view and stuff like this is a moat. I don't see, at least in these chatbots that have come out, it's lifeless content or it's just a simulation. It's impersonating an actual conversation and I think that's going to wear off with people because they're going to well, realize It doesn't
2: matter. Thing. I actually think it doesn't matter how good the uh, becomes a sounding human, right? Because we trade in stories. Stories is like one of the oldest currency in humanity. And so when we hear something, the source is as important as the story. So even if if the AI sounds like Hemingway or Madonna or whatever we want it to do, it doesn't matter because we will still seek out human stories. I think.
1: I think and so. And I think
2: that's good advice. You would you would tell that to BuzzFeed then. Stop stop investing in AI. For Microsoft, this
1: is not life or death. And for Google, this is existential. And they are trapped in with their interface because their interface is is an ATM machine. I believe that was mentioned in your piece, Troy. Not specific to this, but like that ATM machine is a millstone around their strategy, right? This is a pretty classic dilemma.
0: Alex, I think about you all the time around this. And and I thought about you when I, I sent that video around, which we'll talk about a little later in the podcast. You know what you have to do? You have to pursue excellence in what you're making. And excellence is defined by the needs, whims, feelings, emotions, etc. of your audience. And when you do it, the rewards will not come immediately. Because When you're pursuing excellence, I think the trade-off is you're not pursuing some other distribution hack. What you're trying to do is make something that is unique to your kind of presence on the planet as an individual, as a human being. And you're always trying to obviously sense where you see there's an opportunity. But I think that it just takes time. And what happens is someone will discover it. And when someone discovers excellence, they share it. And they talk about it. And I think that that's what it is. You've got to do things that machines don't do. And you have to pursue your excellence. And that will find a, a frequency match in the universe or it won't. Yeah. And you'll move on. But I, I really think that, that that's just, for me, it's an important principle because I actually don't give a shit. I don't want to chase uh, audience for my newsletter. I write it because it's good for me. And I, and when I do write it, I try to make it Good, from my perspective, it's incredibly gratifying when other people see it and say, "Hey, there's something insightful in here that was useful to me." And I I just think that that's the path. If you want to make my advice to a media person is, "What are you expert at? What is unique about you? What can you uniquely make? What do you love making?" And try to kind of obviously match that to what needs are in the market. But that to me that goes on forever. I mean, that's a great answer for it. But that answer could have
2: been in the past. I can do stuff at scale that nobody else can. I can make a lot more of it than yeah, other people Yeah, but that's can. over. That's over. That's over.
1: Yeah. A lot of these things are accelerations, and look, the market has voted on the quote-unquote scale era of media, digital media at least, that it's not going well. So yeah. I don't think yeah. anyone, I still see you know, reports of people like Jimmy Finkelstein saying he's going to start like a massive global news brand. No, Not one mention about how it's going to be different or why this thing is needed. I think what we'll see is a lot of flailing around, right? That we'll see people revive. Remember the courts chatbot? Like they changed their site to be an actual chatbot. We'll see people try hmm. to impersonate the experience of chat GPT. And it's going to be probably bad.
0: Actually, I, I disagree with that. Okay, good. You know, uh, hats off to courts for trying to change the interface point information and the way they did it. And I think they introduced some new ideas into the market, but that's not the point. The point is, is what you're going to find is people that use automation and AI to create new things that we have never seen. And it's happening in porn. It's happening in gaming. It's going to happen all over the place in media and. There's going to be new hybrid formats and AI-powered creators like I am. I could never make the quality of supporting art for my newsletter like I can now without AI.
1: You love your bear. I appreciate that about you, Troy.
0: It just is an example of to get that result, I have to twist and turn the machine in a certain way, and I have to use my taste and my point of view to try to come up with something that's unique. You like it or not, that's what it is. And... And so that's I just think a very simplistic example of using otherwise I would have to call Alex to make me art for my thing and he won't do it anymore because he's too rich.
1: <laughs> I think like people will, will copy the interface, but I think it is going to change people's expectations of media being more conversational to some degree. And and that is like more of a way you approach media. Like I think we're coming out of a time when everyone pretended to have the answer. And I think when you look at like why the popularity of some say podcasts, even Joe Rogan is, is because he takes the approach that he's looking for like answers in some ways. And I know that you know there's a lot of anti Joe Rogan stuff, but there has to be. You should deconstruct things about why they're popular at particular times. And I Always. think that I think about like our chat thread that we have that goes on through the week that culminates in the show, or maybe it doesn't. I have no idea. That to me is a, is a very interesting and valuable piece of media. And I think when I think about what will have a moat in, in this kind of era, it'll be more like that in some way. I don't know how it gets executed quote unquote at scale.
2: First of all, anyone who claims to know how the future is going to pan out is lying. So I'm not I'm not claiming that. But I don't know where they're selling if you. The something. Right, well, yes. I don't know if the right path forward is for everybody to look at this interface, right, to bring it back to interface of chat and say, everything is that moat now. And I worry that Media companies are going to start doing that. They're going to end up with interfaces that are easy to bypass because Apple just needs to make their own. And then I'm never going to chat to the New York Times chatbot. I actually feel that if you're a media company, and that goes to Troy's point as well and to your point, just make something really well. Actually go back, read the article, have beautiful photography, beautiful typography. Make it something that is enjoyable to read, that is completely different to the chat interface that I'm using, get me to think to be in a different mode and appreciate that content in a way where it feels like it needs to exist. Otherwise, you're just a cheaper, less fast copy of what exists within... Google or Apple or whoever's moving into AI. It's
1: a hard way to win, the shortcut way and the one that bets on scale and doing Absolutely. it better and cheaper. It's like I, I have two pizza places here, like within two blocks of one another. It's Joe's Pizza. It's like famous worldwide. I think they have one in Tokyo or something. And they've got a line around the block and a, a slice of pizza is like three seventy five. And then there's another one that's like completely not popular, but it's near pace. And they sell it at a dollar fifty. And they both do well, but they're very different pizza places. I just think that Doing things cheaper is going to end up not not being the way to win in this. You have to have, be efficient with lean media and infrastructure and stuff. I just think that the efficient approach to content is not going to last very long. Let's just go into good product. I don't know if we're going to talk about the Super Bowl as a good product. I'll just say this. It was a good product. It was a good game. It was marred at the end by not a quote-unquote wrong call, but it was made at the wrong time in the wrong place i just want to get that on the record troy i know i owe you a hundred dollars even though you didn't send me a w9 and let's go on to good product i just had to get that off my chest
0: i thought the half time show with rihanna was remarkable and i thought it was a terrific game and i won a few hundred books so that's pretty good my my kids all came over and, my, and they had all their friends here. So, and they all cooked, which was amazing. So it was a really fun afternoon or evening. That video that I, that we played a little earlier highlighted something that I really do think because I, I ate it yesterday and one of, shout out to Willa, who cooked a lot of the food yesterday, made me a Hawaiian pizza. And oh, when I was a kid pizza, people are going to
1: come after you. That's no, like,
0: when I was growing up in Saskatchewan, oh God. Hawaiian pizzas were were the thing for me. It's just so not I, I noticed,
1: me. But Having never been to Saskatchewan, I doubt as good pizza.
0: Oh, amazing pizza! It's made by the Greeks, <laughs> not not by the Italians, and it's quite thick. It's very delicious. Anyway, there's a place called Western Pizza, and it's amazing. But uh, I wanted to say that Hawaiian pizza is an extremely good product. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, I really like it a lot. I'm with, I, you, I Troy, just think,
1: I'm with you, I'm with oh, you. Oh, Jesus Christ. Alex, you're German. You guys put an egg on your pizza.
2: I'm Austrian, and I, know, I don't even know joke. if we eat pizza.
0: <laughs> but, you know, she made the pizza yesterday with fresh pineapple. Alex, I'm just going to ignore Brian. <laughs> and fresh pineapple and really good ham. And she bought the pizza dough at a local pizzeria. It was delicious. Really like
1: cool. I'm speaking yeah. for the audience here when I say that there's no room for Hawaiian pizza in the canon of pizza.
0: I think what you're gonna hear back from from people is that a lot of people really like it. Yeah. Shameful. Yeah. A media item. I was blown away by maybe we can share this in the show notes. It's this video on YouTube called Donks, and I think it's a really good product. We'll and share it. It's incredible. It is incredible. And it was made by a passionate kind of self-directed individual and it's animation and it's got a great story. Do you know anything about this guy Alex? No.
2: No, I never heard of him before.
0: Can you explain it? <laughs>
2: I don't I no, didn't you gotta, I, I you wasn't can't able explain to watch it. The you got to explain. It. You just have to watch it, donks. Yeah. Linked in the show notes. All right.
1: Read the show up. notes, everyone. Cool. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode and just a reminder, do leave a uh, rating and review. Helps people find this podcast and uh, it reminds us that humans are listening.
0: I was delighted to have an ode to Canada. It basically acknowledges Canada's rightful place in culture and sport. It's hosted by Dave Grohl, which is kind of funny, who's not Canadian, I don't think.
2: Dave Grohl thanking Canada
0: for inventing
2: all these cool things. No Blackberry, that's weird.